So last week, we had scripture from Samuel, and it was on the call, God's call for us. And if you remember, we had some special friends last week that shared their call and their moments of when God reached out to them and they knew that they were to follow the Lord. I remember moments shared last week of clouds and moments in brooks and rivers and streams. I remember sharing what it was like to live in small towns and what it was like to live in the country. We've all had a call from God. Today we're going to talk about Jonah. And if you're like me, you're familiar with the children's book on Jonah and the whale and how the whale swallowed him up. And for three days he stayed in the stinky insides of a whale. But do you know that Jonah is the teeny tiny book in the Bible, in the Old Testament? It's only four chapters. And in the Bible I was using yesterday, which is one of my study Bibles, it only took up four pages. It's small and it's a satire. So it's one of those, did he really go in the mouth of the whale or did he just use that as an example? Well, I'll let you figure that out. Because the whole point is that God gave Jonah a second chance. It's been said you never get a second chance to make a good first impression. So think about that. You never get a second chance to make a good first impression. You don't. Good listening skills are one of the keys to making a good first impression. Paying attention to people right from the start. Being careful with the words you choose and giving up the need to always be right and be the center of the conversation. But one of the best ways to make a good first impression is by putting others before yourself. It's probably safe to say that Jonah wouldn't have been one for a good first impression, not with his attitude at the beginning. When God first called him to Nineveh, he hopped aboard a ship and went the total opposite direction. You might have too if you knew Nineveh. It was the capital city, great in power, culture, and size. It was the largest Gentile city in the world and was known for its heathen temples and idolatrous ways. It represented the world's pride, power, and brutality at its worst. The mere name of Nineveh instilled fear and terror in the hearts of those who heard it. It did so to Jonah. So much that he hopped aboard a ship and went the other way until God, of course, sent a storm. And the crew struggled to figure out why the storm was there and why it wasn't leaving. But the more they did so, the worse the storm became. The final straw has to be drawn straws to see who was responsible, casting lots. And it fell on Jonah. 
who now had been explaining to do so. He says, I'm running away from the Lord because I don't want to go to Nineveh. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. And the sea will become calm. We're starting to see the beginning of an attitude change with Jonah, putting others before himself. The sailors picked him up and threw him into the, into the water. And the raging sea calmed down. All this made quite an impression on them. We're told that the sailors gently feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to the Lord. Meanwhile, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Put yourself in a place of Jonah all alone inside the belly of a fish, the dark, the cold, the sounds, the smells. It gave Jonah some time to think. It also gave him some time to repent. That's what God wanted him to do. That's what God wanted for Nineveh. That's what God wants for all people. And that's what God wants for us. God's word tells us God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Think about the times you haven't feared, loved, and trusted God above all things. Don't run away from it, but face it head on. Think about the times you've been generous to yourself but haven't been generous to God, don't run away from it. Make changes. God probably won't send a fish to swallow you up as a wake-up call. We can be thankful that he did to Jonah, though. If he hadn't, Jonah would have faced the genuine possibility of being swallowed up and ending in hell in his stubborn, rebellious ways against God. In repentance, Jonah called out to God. God heard him, forgave him, and gave him another chance. We're told the Lord commanded the fish to vomit up Jonah right out to the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I have given you. Notice how Jonah wasn't criticized for his past failures. God didn't bark and go back to the fact that he had told him to do this before. He was forgiven and recommissioned for his future. God changed Jonah's heart and told him to go to Nineveh again. And this time he did. It was a journey of some 600 miles. One might argue that he didn't make a good first impression because he came with a message that people probably didn't want to hear. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned, was the message that he barked. It was a message to repent and turn to the Lord for forgiveness. The message said that sin makes us deserving of God's wrath and punishment. That's the message he was to bring. The message also said God makes us suitable in God's sight through the promised Savior. The Ninevites believed in God. 
When the news reached the king, he put on a sackcloth, taking off his fancy clothes, fasted and commanded his people to do the same. We're told that when God saw what they did and how they turned their evil ways around, God had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction God had threatened to do. And God took notice. People really can change if they want to, and so God, who loves God's creation, who offers new life, spared them. We are told God changed God's mind. God changed God's mind? How is that? The ruler, the, the God of all the universe can change God's mind because of something that humanity did. How cool is that? God changed God's mind. God's mind can be swayed and impacted by our love, work, and effort. God can be swayed. Jonah, on the other hand, cannot. And really the most exciting part of this whole little book of scripture is the part the lectionary doesn't have us read. But don't worry, I'm going to tell you about it. So let's look at what would be coming in the next chapter four. The scripture continues with a section entitled, Jonah's Anger at the Lord's Compassion. Upon hearing that God changed God's mind and Nineveh would be spared, Jonah became angry. Like a foreign leader unwilling to accept election results not in his or her favor, Jonah didn't like the truth in front of him and doesn't want to expect or accept what God has told him. Jonah is angry at God's compassion. Although Jonah admits that the Lord is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundance in love, he doesn't seem to unite God's ways with his own ways, his own understanding of justice and punishment. His distance from God's ways seem so large. He would rather die than live with it. And he asked God to kill him. How can you forgive these sinful people? And what makes you think that they're not going to go back to their sinful ways? Like an ever patient God, God says, really, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? And when God tells Jonah how it is and waits to see how Jonah responds, Jonah, I am God of all people, not just the people you like, all people. You are no more special than them. Oh, that hurts. You are no more special than them. I can care about them as I care about you. Well, Jonah, in his huff and his puff, he walks away and he sits down to wait and watch under the burning sun. In the relentless heat, he sits and waits for what will or will not happen to Nineveh. Jonah still thinks it's something amiss. The results should be overturned, and he still thinks he can win. <laughs> and God waits. 
for Jonah to accept the truth in front of him, to accept God's love for God's people. God grows a tree for Jonah. He feels sorry for him. To sit under as he doesn't need to get too hot. And he waits for the smiting that won't happen. And Jonah gets comfortable underneath this tree in his bitterness and his sulking and his self-importance. God realizes that by making things too comfortable, God has enabled Jonah's selfish and unhealthy ways. So what does God do? He sends a worm. He sends a worm to kill the tree. By morning, it has faded, exposing Jonah to the blasting heat again. And again, Jonah wants to die. So filled with anger, we are told he wants to die. Okay then, says Jonah to God, explain to me. And God says, explain to me, Jonah, how you can be so upset over a tree that you did not plant, that you did not care for or nourish, but you expect that I should not be concerned about Nineveh? About a great city with more than 120,000 people living it? God says, also, all the animals living in the city. I kind of like that, that God mentions the animals. Why should I then not be concerned about all of creation? All of my creation, not just you, Jonah. And that's where it ends, abruptly. We get no further response from Jonah. God and God's wisdom has the last word. And this book of scripture is done. Four chapters, four pages. And it's interesting on many levels, but I think it means the question is being asked of us today. Jonah doesn't answer because the scripture calls us to respond. We have to respond on our own. The scripture calls us to consider how we control our selfishness and our anger so that it does not eat away at us and corrupt our lives. It also calls us to see past ourselves, to recognize our place in God's creation. To remember that God's love is for all, humanity and creation. And of followers of God, we should do what we can to extend love and care for all of creation. Have some of those thoughts ever crossed your mind? Then again, when you think about it, what have we done to deserve anything from God? What have we given to God that God should be so kind to us? But look at our time and our talents and our treasures we've given. Here's where we see the love and mercy of God all the more as we realize how under-deserving we are. We know that God demands of us to be forgiving. We know we haven't given everything to God. We know what we deserve, but we see what God gives us anyway because of God's grace. Okay, so now, where are you in the story? What is your role in this great big plan of God? Are you a runaway prophet like Jonah? who doesn't want to hear what God has to say for whatever reason? 
or are you a reluctant prophet who eventually obeys God's call, although begrudgingly? Are you the one running away or standing on the deck as the rainfall pelts your face? Or the one hiding down at the bottom of the boat in fear? Are you singing and praying somewhere in the bow of a whale? Or do you feel as if you haven't been vomited on shore just yet? Are you a Ninevite? Maybe one who has realized their sin and heard God's call? Are you ready to repent even now to humble yourself and ask God's forgiveness? Or are you a faithful believer who questions maybe or even gets downright mad when God's love is extended to someone that you don't think deserves it, that you don't think is worthy? Where are you in the story? And here's a biggie from a completely different perspective, from a heavenly point of view. Who are the Ninevites from where you currently stand? Who among us in this world are the Ninevites? Who do you see as unacceptable to God? Who is unsalvageable? Who is lost? Who is beyond God's call? Think of all the division in our country right now throughout our world. Who do you feel like is beyond redemption, beyond you reaching out in love? Are you sure that you're not missing something, that we're not missing something? Maybe an opportunity to heal. Where are we in the story of God? That's the question, isn't it? Are we responding to God's call on our life? May it be the most crucial choice we will ever make for those who hear your message as well as yourself. Do we hear that call that God makes? God is holy, just, and righteous. At the same time, God is merciful, gracious, and compassionate. So there is always grace in judgment and judgment in grace. Think about that. Even the message of doom, there is a message of hope. And the Ninevites saw that message within the message. They did not just hear the word overthrown. They also heard the word 40 days. And there's something about 40 days that just keeps coming up and coming up and coming up in the Bible. And they gave acknowledgement to the 40 days. And they understood that to be holy. God's graciousness offered for them to get right in their next 39 days. And they did. So they hurried to get right with God. And if we are lost, we ought to run to the cross and receive the compassion of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And God will give us another chance. That mercy, that grace. God will provide us with a new start. God will give you and me a new beginning.
Amen.